This is Beyond Riel, a UMFM limited series that delves into the history, culture, and challenges facing minority Francophone community in Canada. My name is André Marcheldon. And I am Ian T.D. Thompson. We are excited that you have tuned in as we explore La Francophonie in Canada. This series is sponsored by La Société de la Francophonie Manitobaine, the advocate for the Franco-Manitobaine community. This project is also supported by a Taking a Global grant with support from the Canada Service Corps and the Government of Canada. Bunsen spoke to us about the realities and challenges she faced as a French-speaking immigrant coming to Manitoba. Blondin's experience with the healthcare sector highlights the importance of having French services since not everyone in Canada is fluent in English. Blondin is pleased with the intention for inclusivity by the community. However, there is still much work to be done in making new French-speaking immigrants feel welcome in Manitoba. Blondin was born in Cameroon, where she obtained a master's in law and political science. She has also worked on a PhD that she plans to defend in Cameroon. Since immigrating to Winnipeg, Blondin has worked as an assistant professor at the Université de Saint-Maniface. She now works as a program director at the Women's Health Clinic in Winnipeg. Blondin, welcome to Beyond Riel. Thank you for having me. So I guess one, one of the places we'd really I'd just like to kind of kick us off is just a few kind of uh, informational type questions. Um, can you tell us where you lived before you, you moved to Canada? I mean, it was in the bio, but just, you know, tell us about where, where it was and, and why you decided to come to Manitoba specifically. That's a good question. And ask me that all the time when it's winter and I think I might have a different answer. Uh, I spent most of my life in Cameroon, uh, where I was born, and then I did. I spent some years in France and also in other African countries because I was part of mediation teams, uh, going into uh, like I was part of the global peace groups and we're going to place where post conflict and trying to work into helping some of the countries to rebuild. So that was mostly what was my focus, actually. That was my life. I was dedicated into that piece. And that's actually one of the, the reasons I came here, because one of the, the NGO uh, in Canada, it was in Africa, in Congo, like they were so passionate about disarmament, rebuilding, and uh, after conflicts, how do you rebuild that part? And one of the models that was used was the model uh, that has been here, uh, truth and reconciliation, because it was difficult for many of the countries to be talking any like to move forward if they didn't have that moment of truth where they acknowledge the harm that was done. And I was inspired to come here and see how uh, settlers were able to find that peace and really build that relationship with indigenous people. And well, it was a different experience when I came in, but it was how it was presented to us when we were there and we're just like, oh my God, a country that was able to be at peace with uh, the first intention of the settlers and now they're living in it was just like the dream country and well my husband and I we decided actually that's to answer your question Winnipeg was the choice of my husband he just looked that small city it's looking so great and they started a new initiative to welcome francophone it's going to be amazing I think we check everything except the weather no, that, that's that's really interesting. And just just both in terms of you know your work as well as uh, you know the, the welcoming from the community. So so obviously language is a really key part of this. So so just kind of curious. Prior to moving to Canada, and you're involved in all of these uh, all these mediation sort of teams around the world. What languages did you speak, and and how comfortable were you with each of them before coming to to Canada? 
I speak French, it was one of my first language. Cameroon is a country that was uh, colonized by France, so we do our education in French. So that was my, my first language since uh, my early age. And then I do speak uh, three different native languages. So the language we speak in Cameroon, like Bassa, uh, Douala, and a little bit of Betty. I learned German when I was nine, and I think that I was speaking German for quite a while, but I forgot it because I didn't have a chance to practice. I went in Germany for vacation many, many years ago. So I just understand basics. <laughs> just the basics there. But French is probably the one you're, you're one of the more, more comfortable with. Yes. And that was one of the reasons also with Canada. We thought that it was a bilingual country, but again, it's how it is presented. But the reality was something different. Kind of just build off of that a little bit. Uh, obviously, there is French Manitoba, but it's not the primary language. It's not the, the language that's most spoken by the population. So what were some of the challenges that you and other French-speaking immigrants faced when they came to Manitoba? Yeah, I oh, I think uh, everything at the beginning uh, was challenging. We came here knowing that we'll have to learn some English, but we thought that we can function in French. Mostly the program was advertising uh, my French minority can settle here. We do have a strong Francophone community. It's vibrant and other few things. You know, when you read this kind of information and we don't have internet like we have today when you have the full picture, it was in 2006 when we were starting our immigration process. And we're just like, oh my God, that is like, okay, we can settle there. And But we came here. And it was a big shock. Like everything was in English. I, I can tell you one story for my first experience here. I came and I started feeling unwell. I went to the hospital and the doctor was talking to me and uh, I asked an interpreter, but they couldn't have an interpretation. And he was, he was understanding that I was struggling because I have limited English. I was explaining my things. And he told me that I think you might be pregnant. I say, yeah, probably. And I didn't understand what pregnant meant. And he looked at our reaction that my partner and I were just looking at him like just it may be a disease or something like that. He say, okay, I, should I say congratulations or is it a bad thing? I say, what for? And he, he said, because you're pregnant. I say, you said it, but I will have to go check after what pregnant means. <laughs> and he was just like, that means you're going to have a baby. And we we're just like, oh, my God. And uh, it, it took us a lot of time and uh, probably more for my partner who was actually an accountant, but numbers and systems are more different. So he had to he had to go back completely to the university to redo everything that he has done. For me, I was able to find a job somewhere in French that literally helped me. So I was able to do my English class in the evening, but it was really hard. But people were so welcoming and I have to say it. I want to go to a place. I will talk with my limited English, with my word, with everything that is visual to explain to the person where I want to go. And that was one of the things that really made us stay here in Manitoba because of people were patient, understanding the struggle, and they were like giving us that space to learn the few things that you need to learn. And they will repeat, okay, that is the word. Okay, you want to go here. Okay. Wow, that's quite the story for uh, learning that you're pregnant at a hospital and not being able to get that information communicated by the doctor. So it just really goes to show that it's important to actually have French services for, for French-speaking folks uh, in Manitoba. Absolutely. And the healthcare was a nightmare because we needed a family doctor, but you have to call and there were no French family doctors. And we, I still, now we still have the same family doctor. We waited, we waited, but now we needed a doctor because of my situation. So we just took the first one who was available and it was so challenging because she could not communicate in French and I had to go and I couldn't state all the things that I needed. And actually even my birthing plan was literally changed 
in a hospital because I finally found someone who speaks French who could explain to me what epidural meant. So there were so many different things that when we're talking, do you want epidural or not? I say, well, I don't know what it is. Do I need it? He said, no, you don't really need it. So then I don't need it. So, <laughs> But when you go there and they explain what epidural is, then you can give birth and you relax because you can have something that will reduce the pain. And I'm not telling you about my other experience because I didn't know about epidural. So there are multiple things like that that I have faced because of limitation of English at first and uh, because of now the interpretation services uh, were not that available. And maybe that's how you can understand the beginning of my activism within immigration services to make sure that, again, those resources are available so people that they're bringing here, they can settle as fast as possible so they can contribute. If it takes you longer to get to the basics, then it will take you longer to integrate and to be able to contribute. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. I, I can't quite relate to to your extent, but growing up as a Francophone in Manitoba, of course, when I was younger, I didn't speak any English at all. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to, to get services from a medical expert, but thankfully my parents did speak English. So they were always able to, to help me out in that regard. Uh, so in terms of um, when you came to Winnipeg, obviously you, you faced some challenges when, you, when it came to getting some services in French. Were you able to find work in French in Manitoba? Yes, I was able to find, actually, my first job was with the agency that welcomed us. It was called Accueil Francophone. I couldn't go back to the University of Manitoba because they were asking me to have a certain level to, I wanted to transfer my PhD, but I couldn't. And they asked me to go and do my English class until I can get certain level, TOEFL level, so I can go back to the university. So I literally going to two years program in English before you can go and finish your, and I was asking them, can they not just partner with the other universities? So it was very challenging for me. They couldn't do it. And you University of St. Boniface, they don't have have the master's degree there, so they couldn't take me there for my political science and peace and conflict studies. So I had to find any job because now I am here, I I need a job to be able to to pay the bills. And uh, that job was just to help understand the needs of newcomers and help advocate uh, for their needs and finding people in the community. That's how I got involved. That was my first job. And because I was able to have it, there was less pressure on me to learn English. And I was able to learn slowly, evening. So literally, you can imagine that I was working from eight to four and I was in class from six to nine. So that was my life for literally two years. I'm sure that must have been a very hectic time. (laughs) I can only imagine. So another thing that I think a lot of immigrants, um, an issue or a a problem that a lot of other immigrants face when they come to Canada is that the work experience that they've gained um, from their home countries or, or overseas in general um, is not uh, necessarily seen as equivalent work experience uh, here in Canada. Is that a challenge that you faced as well? Oh, yes. A lot of time, actually. Uh, uh, even working at the university first, it was a hard time for them to acknowledge my degrees. I had to go and pay for services for them to research and state that my uh, master's that I had, two master's, that they, they were done in a formal institution and that represent also master's here in Canada, so they don't have to put me back. And that's how I was hired actually into teaching at the University of St. Boniface for a few years, but uh, it was just part-time. So that was something that I was able to do when I was able to, when I finished my, my English uh, classes. And the other places where I was going, it has never been recognized until this job. 
it is the first job that I have that actually they did consider because they were asked hiring at a master level. It's my first job and I started it in 2019. So you can imagine literally more than 10 years later, you get your first job where they do acknowledge that you have a degree. The other job were sometimes just grade 12 or just uh, some university years. So it was not specific to your degree. And that's, you can see the difference even in the salary. So it was just like, you can see that you've been working, you've been working and never being acknowledged uh, financially in, at the level that you've been working and feeling how it is unfair because unfortunately I spent the same number of years at school like other people. It was just in a different place. And that was one of the shock we're having because we, we thought that at least coming from a Francophone place, I'm not talking for people coming maybe from Arabic or other places where they need to understand maybe French or English, but coming from a place that is called an official language and not getting from a lot of organization, mostly Anglophone organization, that understanding of degrees. Some of the places they were asking me if I do have any kind of Canadian degree and I'm saying, I know I don't have any. Do I need to have a Canadian degree? You don't have it in your posting. It's just a part of uh, the few things that were kind of frustration, like you can have a work at a degree, but we were actually vet in our immigration processes based on our degrees. So they wanted to see if we met some criteria. And my challenge was, well, if you're asking us to come with that, the degree and now when we come, you do not recognize those things. I recall where my partner, he was literally at his master level, but they asked him to start again to do like a bachelor degree. So there were multiple frustrations like that, what you accumulate and you feel like I was already a professional, but now I have to go back because I need to, to have a degree or something like that. But they don't even put me in the right place. They're asking me to go like two levels down. And there are so many different people. I do have my sister, the same experience with her. She had to return to school, but again, because the, the, the field that she wanted to work, ask her to have a certain level of English. Like they don't even trust that because you have experience, you can do both at the same time. You have to give us this and now move to uh, sectors that they were not coming to contribute because of uh, that big challenge of language. And the other thing, again, that was really frustrating and really upsetting to me is, well, technically, we're not considered as francophone. I say, well, I'm francophone. But according to the definition of francophone, you should have done maybe one of the French class or you were born here from parents from francophone. But I say, I'm sorry, but I am a francophone. You won't change it because of your definition. And she say, you know, you can send me a letter so I, I can give you that privilege. I was so offended. Like, I am a francophone because I speak French, number one. And secondly, that is the, the stream of my immigration, that I am a francophone. So it's an official language in Canada. You should be judging me in my ability of speaking French, not about in my degree or my parent and other few things. And that's why we end up having a lot of people there that parents are anglophone, but because their parents were francophone, they can put children into the francophone school. But me speaking French and speaking French home with my children, I couldn't put them in the francophone school. And they did, I needed an exception so they can put my child in a French school. That was so shocking. And that experience, many Francophone immigrants face it. But because we wanted to keep our children in a school that they will learn a language that they can speak with the parent. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I have to say also quite odd, unfortunately, that even though like you're fluent in French and you came from a French speaking country, you wouldn't be recognized as a Francophone and you wouldn't be able to indicate to like the French division that you are a Francophone and you want to send your kids to a Francophone school. So I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm glad uh, that it did end up working out and they were able to, to go to a French school. So overall, would you say that the Francophone community in Manitoba is welcoming to immigrants? I think that it was a lot of work that was done the past years. I was part of the people who were pushing for that advocacy. What I can say is the intention is there. And I'm really, really happy that I came to a community that was willing 
to welcome new francophones. So that was one of the things that made me feel, feel really happy and proud to belong to this community. They wanted, but they wanted something, but they didn't know how to welcome us. And they didn't know what welcoming us meant that was significant to us. And that effort was done to help them understand that it's not just about saying you're welcoming us. Welcoming us, it means welcoming us with our diversity, the different language I'm speaking. But in terms of welcoming, for me, the intention was there, the heart was there, and they start putting the resource, the more they were learning about our needs. And that's something that I'm really proud of because I feel like we are to that place but there are still some challenges. There's still so much work to do and we shouldn't make assumption into because she's coming from a French country place or that the French should be like French from Paris or French from other places. French is different and it's coming from other places. Blondine, we really appreciate you sharing uh, something that is, is very close to home about your experiences and everything. And you mentioned, you know, how the Francophone community, how you talked about, you know, some of the intention was there, some of the heart was there. But, you know, insofar as that goes, what do you think should be changed about the community to make it a little bit more welcoming for people in your position that are coming from another country uh, to be included in that community? Yeah, a few things were done already where they gave a chance to a lot of uh, newcomers to, to speak about the realities and the challenges that they face here. That is the, fa- the first part. Because I learned recently uh, since that racism situation in the U.S. last year with George Floyd, that a lot of youth in some of the schools are facing so many discrimination and racism. So it's about learning more. So we, they know a couple of things that we shared with them. Now they need to go back again and learn more of that people are experiencing. When you know what people experience, the next thing is to inv- invite them to your groups so you can ask more questions and you can see how we can work together. If you invite me into your board or any group that you have, then I will be letting you know that when you say something like that, it makes me feel uncomfortable because it has that impact to me. And when I'm talking about immigration, it's not just about black people, it's everyone. Because it's the same thing sometimes where we feel people coming from Europe do not feel integrated that much. That's what I'm saying again. Just giving them a chance to sit with you when you do have your board or organization or group organizing, whatever it is, so the voice matter at that time. So the voice matter at the service delivery. And then we see them because the more we see them, the more we understand how imperfect they are, the more we make it normal that we understand that we are just a diverse group of people with different realities. And all of that is part of the reality. Speak up, go to places and put your hand up. Even if it will take you five minutes to explain your question or asking, people need to understand that you have a voice and they need to be familiar with the, your voice and they need to walk around your voice. So coming and staying home and criticizing, it's not for me the best way we can build. We need it two ways. The same way we want people here to the hand forward to say, yes, please come, you're welcome here, join us. The same way we need to also take a chance and go. And that has been my model of immigration. I went everywhere. I have been so vocal to almost every single thing that people have experienced that I've learned, because I think that is the only way that people will be sensitive to the reality. If you want people to hear that you're struggling, you need to be putting it forward. Blondine, this has been a really insightful conversation. We're really grateful for you to speak about your experiences in, in, in coming from Cameroon to Manitoba and, and your experiences in the, in the Francophone Manitoban community. Insofar as any of the the topics that we've talked about today, do you have any sort of final thoughts or 
concluding ideas about the unique experience of French-speaking immigrants coming to Manitoba? Yeah, I have actually something that I would like to share. Francophone of Manitobans, they even changed the name. They were identifying before as Franco-Manitobans, but recently uh, they changed uh, the organization name to say Francophone of Manitoba to be more inclusive to many other people. They've been doing the part into understanding and adjusting as they go, and they need to do more because there are multiple other few things that were left and things always come forward. So this shouldn't be like we did it five years ago, 10 years ago. We should stop there. We should It should be constant like anything else. Like our youth are living in a world and environment and our COVID, everything is changing. So we need to be doing more than just what we did before and say we have done it in the past. That is the part. And for everyone coming, I want you to feel welcome here. Welcome, not just because you're Francophone and you're coming to a Francophone country, is because of the indigenous spirit here where they welcomed everyone in this land. And by welcoming everyone, they've created relationship. And that's what we need to be creating with the Francophone in, in Manitoba, like creating that relationship. Relationship means I put something forward, you put something forward. So we need to be doing that all together, putting something forward so we can build the Francophony that look like all of us. Blondine, I think that's a terrific way to end us off here. Yeah, we really appreciate appreciate your time for, for coming in and talking to us. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, André. And uh, I'm looking forward to hear this. It's really a great initiative and it's my pleasure to be part of this. Blondine spoke to us about the realities and challenges she faced as a French-speaking immigrant coming to Manitoba. Blondine's experience with the healthcare sector highlights the importance of having French services since not everyone in Canada is fluent in English. Blondin is pleased with the intention for inclusion by the community. However, there is still much work to be done in making new French-speaking immigrants feel welcome in Manitoba. Thank you for listening to Beyond Real. Tune in next time for our final episode of this limited series. We will be speaking with Justin Johnson, a Francophone and Red River Métis, about his involvement in the Francophone community. We will also discuss the proposed updates to the Official Languages Act, which gives French and English equal status at the federal level in Canada. Executive producers and hosts are André Mathieu-Don and Ian T.D. Thompson. Technical producer is Frédéric Demers, and consulting producer is Gabrielle Tuga. The music you hear on Beyond Riel is by Rayana. To hear more of her music, visit rayana.com. That's R-A-Y-A-N-N-A-H.com. Beyond Real is a UMFM 101.5 limited series broadcasted out of the University of Manitoba. For more information on the series, visit umfm.com. Si seulement vous étiez